0: This morning we're going to continue. ...is one of the ways God uses to mature us and to grow us to look more like Jesus. Second Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to be given a glimpse into this special moment in Paul's life as he writes to the church in Corinth and hopefully see how we can learn that we are incredibly dependent on God. We desperately need Him. And prayer is the means by which we express that dependence. And then God gives us grace through His own mighty hand and work of His Holy Spirit. This morning, what I hope to lay before us is that we are weak people. Every single person in this room, we're weak. We struggle. We become weary under the weight that we carry. And we need God. And oftentimes, the way God is going to display this to us and bring His grace to us is by bringing trials and suffering into our lives, that we will have to walk through affliction so that we might see our weakness, see our desperate need for God to call upon him and to receive grace to grow in strength. Now, there's many reasons that we pray. We pray often for to confess our sins. We We pray to ask God to intercede in some way. Maybe it's family or finances or jobs. Oftentimes we pray just adoration to God, that He is awesome and we acknowledge Him as great. Sometimes we pray just to express thanksgiving to Him, to let Him know how much we are grateful for all the things He brings. And then sometimes we just pray for the extras. The things that are just on our hearts, the things that are weighing on us. Maybe it's discouraging news, or maybe it's a difficult battle with sin that we've been walking through. Maybe it's just waking up in the morning and realizing there is a new pressure and a, oops, excuse me, a new pressure, a new trial, something else to walk through, and we see that we need God. And see, God loves us. You can say amen to that. He loves us. He loves you as his child, and he intends to grow you from a spiritual baby to a spiritual adult. God intends to make you look more like Jesus as you live your life. And he's going to use prayer as a means by which he's going to sustain you and grow you. And oftentimes it's in the midst of affliction. And oh, how we need this. We need a reminder of this. Because just so you know, we are all prone to self-reliance and self-sufficiency. We've been taught from long ago that you got to look out for number one. you got to take care of yourself. I think, one of the God, I think one of the clear things God wants to express to us from the very beginning of His Word to the very end of His Word is that we are not self-sufficient. We are weak. We are completely dependent on Him. And that's a good thing because it's when we call out to God in the midst of our weakness that He actually supplies grace and mercy and strength to keep on walking no matter what we face. So how does He do that? How does God sustain faith in us through prayer? Well, again, I mentioned there's a lot of different types of prayer, but what I want to focus on this morning is one that I believe is one of the biggest areas in which prayer is uh, a means by which God sustains us and grows us, and that's when we are robbed of our strength, when we walk through affliction and suffering. And I want to point out to you this morning that God's grace given to his people through prayer in the midst of suffering and affliction. Doesn't only come when he says yes to whatever you're asking for. But often God's grace and his mercy comes to you through prayer when he says no. Paul gives an example from his own life here in verses 7 through 10. And I believe he gives this to the church in Corinth and as such us also as a church this morning that they need to pray. They can also receive grace from God, just as Paul did. That they might see that prayer is vital to their maturation as a Christian, no matter what the answer is. I remind you, Paul wrote this letter to a church in Corinth going through a lot of problems, even with Am I not turned up enough? Am I not on at all? Then use this right here. Just use this. I'll turn this off. Sorry about that. I thought I had it worked out. But oftentimes, God is going to display His greatness to us and His grace through the way He answers. And we receive that grace no matter how He answers. He wrote this letter to a church that had been embroiled in turmoil, that had actually had uh, his own uh, problems with. You remember I preached through a part of this. uh, We talked about the fact that Paul had sent a painful letter to them after a painful visit, that his relationship with the church had been rocky at different points. And the theme he seems to share throughout this letter is a theme that there is suffering that a believer will walk through, but there is a power from God that is greater than that suffering. And I want to show that to you this morning through how Paul faces his afflictions. And what I want to show you is, right, we're looking at how God grows us, and He grows us through prayer. And here's the first point I want to make to you this morning that in prayer and in the afflictions we face, God graciously exposes our weaknesses. I'm going to read this to you this morning. I'm going to ask you if you're physically able to stand with me because we love God's Word and we cherish it. And then after we're done reading, I'll let you sit down for just a moment. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 7. Paul writes, So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Heavenly Father, would you teach us that we desperately need you? Would you expose our weaknesses this morning? Would you cause us to see your grace and your mercy? And Father, would you supply as only you can? Father, we are dependent upon you. Would you show that to us from your word? And Lord, we want to glorify you in the way we respond. In our afflictions and whatever circumstances we face, Father, may you find us clinging to you, running to you for the strength that we so desperately need. So, Father, this morning, would you teach us, would you grow us by your word? And, Father, would we see that prayer is a beautiful gift you give us by your grace. Oh, Lord, may you receive praise and honor and glory. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated for just a moment. Paul says, To keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh. Well, that brings up a topic, doesn't it? Because earlier on in the chapter, Paul shares that 14 years ago, God had given him a vision where he had been called up to paradise or the third heaven, and he was able to see and hear what was going on in the presence of God. Just a ho-hum Monday, right? That Paul was allowed to see and to hear that which he says cannot be told, that which is inexpressible. Imagine that experience. God allows you to see his presence and what is being said there. Think of how tempting that would have been to Paul after that great experience to go on a heavenly vision tour, to regale massive crowds with the stories of what he saw and what he heard in the very presence of God. I guarantee people would pay good money for some tickets to go hear that story told. Paul says to keep me from becoming conceited or to keep me from exalting myself. God gave me a thorn in the flesh. See, even Paul says this was an attractive thought. In fact, this temptation is so real that he says it twice in this verse, to keep me from becoming conceited. To keep me from becoming conceited. Paul knew that this great revelation that God had given him, this great vision that God had allowed him to see, that his flesh was gonna have a temptation to go, you know what, I should make a big deal about myself. Oh, don't y'all wish you could have been called up to the third heaven? Sorry you didn't get to see it. I did. Even Paul knows for himself that this is something that could lead to pride in his own life. And because of what Paul saw and heard and the vision given him, Paul knows that there may be a fleshly desire to go around boasting about his experience, drawing attention to himself, making himself more special and important than everyone else. By the way, That isn't unique to his time frame. It isn't unique to Paul. In fact, we see it even in our day. We love the fantastical, and we love to make ourselves seem and look more important than other people, especially in spiritual matters. Folks, if you want to be regaled with supposed stories of heaven, you can walk into any bookstore and find a thousand of them. In fact wasn't long ago that a Baptist pastor named Don Piper claimed that while he was returning home from a conference, his car was crushed under the wheels of a truck, that the medical personnel who showed up declared him dead at the scene. But 90 minutes after the accident, another pastor who was waiting there was told by God to pray for the dead man, and he did so. And Don Piper immediately returned to life. And for the 90 minutes that his body lay lifeless inside the car, Don Piper claims that he was in heaven. It was a book, and I believe it's been made into movies now, called 90 Minutes in Heaven. And Don Piper describes heaven as a place of reunion with loved ones, of beautiful music. He said that it's a place where there literally are pearly gates. And there literally are streets of gold. That's not it. Wasn't long ago that a young boy of four years old was having a surgery. We're told that he died and he visited heaven for an unknown period of time. He then returned to his body and over the months and years that follows, he told his parents about what he saw and what he did in his time in heaven. He tells them about spending time with Jesus and meeting the sister he never knew he had and said that he fluttered around with wings and that there were pearly gates and on and on. It was called Heaven is for Real. It was a book. It was turned into a movie. You can now go on to Heaven is Real Ministries and you can book the family to speak to you for money. At any engagement you want them to come to. But Paul's experience is far different from these. Paul says to keep me from becoming conceited, God gave me a thorn in my flesh, not a speaking tour, not a book deal. Why would Paul be forbidden to share about this wonderful vision while others are given free reign? to sell books and make movies and have conferences whenever they wish. See, Paul says that this thorn was given him to specifically keep him from boasting in himself and his experience. God had given him this great gift, but God had also told him there were limitations. And he said that God gave him a thorn to keep him from exalting himself. Now, what's interesting is Paul doesn't tell us what the thorn is. Some people think it's something that's physical. It's a problem physically because he says it was given him in his flesh. But here's the thing. I think it's intentional God doesn't tell us what it is. Because if God told us exactly what it is, then we would sit there and go, well, I don't have that problem, so I don't need to pray. I don't have that issue, so I'm fine on my own. I think the lack of specificity actually protects us from dismissing this text as not applicable to us. Here's what we do know, and maybe you can relate to this. Paul says it was something painful. It was some weakness that he had to carry around with him everywhere he went. Christopher Gordon, a theologian, said a thorn could be anything that takes away our human strength. It could be cancer, it could be conflict, it could be pain. Loss, all that and more. But notice Paul says that a thorn was given to him. By who? Who gave him this thorn in the flesh? God seems to be the implied answer. Now he does describe this thorn as a messenger from Satan, but... There's no doubt that from Paul's perspective, this is God allowing something at the very least to take place in his life that was very painful and difficult to deal with, very Job-like. But Paul believes that this thorn was given to him by God for a purpose. It was to expose Paul's frailty, his weakness. It was to show him that he is only human. That's a necessary humbling. It's a necessary humbling from Paul's view because it says it keeps him from becoming conceited. See, we as Christians need to understand that oftentimes spiritual mountaintop experiences we have can lure us into self-exaltation, thinking we're something's good and great. And many times, God will graciously humble us through trials or thorns to show us our weaknesses and frailties. As one theologian notes, Paul is brought from paradise to the very next second he's in pain. I guess it's all how you view the thorns. It's all how we view the afflictions we face. That even God would allow these things to take place in our lives. As we think about how we respond to these things, I want to ask, when God brings struggles and affliction to us, how do we respond? Do we try to pull it out ourselves? Do we try to navigate it by our own power? Do we try to run from it? See, Paul speaks boldly of God's purposeful hand in bringing this affliction, exposing his weaknesses, and he believes and sees that this is God's gracious hand at work in his life. He ultimately views the thorn as a display of God's love toward him to guard and protect him from sin. As Charles Spurgeon said, he reckoned his great trial to be a gift from God. Prayer is vital to us as Christians. For our growth and to sustain our faith. Because we are often going to find ourselves in the midst of great affliction, trial, suffering. And how we respond to that will speak volumes. If our goal is simply to get out of it or to get away from it or to pull it out by our own power, we're missing the point of why God might bring these things to us. That they might actually be brought Because God intends to give grace through the affliction. He might actually do it to grow you to look more like Jesus in your affliction. Prayer is vital for us because it shows in prayer we are recognizing and admitting that God has exposed weakness in us. And I know nobody wants to be reminded of that. But how do we respond as a church to affliction and suffering? Where do we run? And I ask this not just of you as individual Christians. I'm asking us as a church. Where do we run in the midst of our afflictions? Where do we run in the midst of our sufferings? Where do we as a church run when we face trials? Folks, we're walking through them right now. COVID has been horrible. And COVID has destroyed a lot of what had already been built beforehand. We are facing things as a church that I never thought we would have to face. Some of our dear family members have been in their homes for years. There's a There can be an underlying feeling of fear all the time. People have been disconnected from one another to the point where we almost act like we don't need each other anymore. And right now as a church, we're facing some financial struggles. It's a reality. It's where we are. But let me ask you, in the midst of everything that has come in the last three years, in the midst of all we've walked through, where do we turn... In our trial. Who do we believe in? Who is our hope? Where do we run? Folks, as a church, just as we're to do in our individual lives as a church, we should be running to the throne of God. We should be sprinting there. We should be prayerful people as a church to show the world that that's where our hope is found. And we're not ashamed of our weaknesses. We're not acting like they don't exist. Because our weaknesses, our trials, point us to, number two, as God graciously reveals weakness in us, God also graciously draws us to greater dependence on him. Look at verse 8. How did Paul respond in the midst of his trials and afflictions? Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Notice Paul's response to his thorn was not to seek to remove the thorn himself. Where did he run? He ran to God. And here we find this indication that Paul believes God is at least behind this whole thorn because why would he turn to him to get rid of it? But I want you to notice something specifically. It's not just that Paul is dependent on God and his weakness. It is that Paul is desperately dependent on God and his weakness. He says he pleaded with God. That means to beg. Have you ever been so overwhelmed by your own weakness, sin, sin, Burdens, tribulations that you begged God to do something. That's a desperation. And he didn't just beg once, he begged over and over. Paul turned to the Lord in prayer. He was petitioning his king. And Paul's weakness led him to a greater dependence on God. He saw his affliction and his suffering as part of God's work of maturing and sustaining him. That's not the only time we see it. We see it earlier on in the letter. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul says in verse 8 through 11, "...we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt like we had received the sentence of death." But that was to make us rely not on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril. He will deliver us. Paul says in those verses he set his hope on God. And he expresses that by his prayer to him. Now, Paul prayed three times. I don't believe that that means that that's the magic formula. If you pray for something three times, then God spits out an answer. Oh, if that was it, it would be something. But three times is not the magical number. It's just that's how long it took for Paul to get his answer. A Puritan pastor named John Trapp said, God respecteth not the arithmetic of our prayers, how many they are, not the rhetoric of our prayers, how neat they are, nor the geometry of our prayers, how long they are, nor the music of our prayers, how melodious they are, nor the logic of our prayers, how methodological they are, but the divinity of our prayers, how heart-sprung they are. It seems that Paul prayed three times because after the three times, the Lord said, I got an answer for you. So not only was Paul's prayer desperate, it was also consistent. He kept on and he continued until the Lord acted and responded. I want you to also know, not only was his prayer desperate and consistent, but it was also specific. What was he praying for? What was he praying for? Make this thing leave. means take it away. There's no ambiguity in Paul's prayer. He knows what he's expressing. His great desire is that the Lord would remove his suffering and his pain. Remember, Paul's writing for the benefit of the Corinthians and he's using the example of his own life to point them to their need to depend on him. In his own desperate need, Paul responded to his weakness weakness with prayer to God, who was his only hope. He prayed specifically, he prayed consistently, he prayed desperately, and God answered. But notice, in the midst of his suffering, he ran to the Lord. He knew the Lord was the only one who could ultimately rescue. That's for us too, but not only for us as individuals, that's for us as a church. Are we consistently casting ourselves before God? Are we begging him to act? Are we going before his throne as desperate children who need to hear from their dad? Are we needy children who recognize our weakness and that he is our father who can supply every need? Are we committed as a church to praying together as people, bearing each other's burdens, shouldering each other's afflictions, praying for each other in the midst of our sins? Sorry about that. These microphones are going crazy. It's fine. That's just how I get you back awake again. But are we consistently running to God? Do we display as a church that we believe God is the only one we can depend on? I'll be honest with you. There's a lot of days where I think I got it figured out, and I got it. I don't need God. I'm good. I don't say that out loud, but I believe in the way I act. And there are times that God will bring things into my life to specifically drive me to my knees, to bring me back to Him. What a grace of God to show us our weakness and to drive us back to Him. But man, would you run back to God? In the midst of your affliction, whatever you're struggling with, would you run to God for help? Because He's the only one you believe who can sustain. And then lastly, God graciously answers prayer to mature us in Jesus. Oh, God does answer. Sometimes it may not feel like it. What was that Garth Brooks song? Didn't he have a song about this in the 90s? Yeah, unanswered Prayer. I hate hate to break it to you. I think sometimes what we call unanswered prayer is God's answer. And his answer is no or not now or keep on asking. You know what I'm talking about? So God does answer, but what if his answer isn't what you wanted? What if he answers in a way that you didn't ask for? Well, Paul says, I know what you're feeling because that's what happened to him. And we're told in verse 9, Right? Paul pleads with the Lord, begs God, take the suffering, take the thorn away. Here's God's answer to his prayer. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Oh, no. God's answer was no. God, take this thorn from me. And God said, my grace is sufficient for you. Oh, are we ready for God to answer even if that answer is the way that we didn't want it to happen? But here we are reminded that when God answers, he is giving us unbelievable grace and love, even if it's not what we ask for. Here's what I do want you to know. God from his word says that he answers the cries of his people. He did it in Egypt when the Israelites cried out in Exodus chapter 2 and 3. He also heard Paul's pleading. We're told in Psalm 4 verse 3 when David was calling to God in his need. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. It's a beautiful promise of God that he hears the prayers of his people and that his hearing does include acting. But we're also reminded that God doesn't necessarily answer our prayers by giving us what we ask for. And in fact, in Paul's case, God's answer was giving him the exact opposite of what he asked for and desired. Paul longs for the thorn to leave him and God says, nope, in fact, it's staying. There is no indication that this thorn ever left him. And need I remind you, how long has it been since the vision of paradise? He said he was given a thorn after the vision to keep him from becoming conceited. So what that tells me is by the time he's writing this, Paul has already had the thorn for 14 years. And the answer God gave him was, get used to it. But no, my grace is sufficient for you. My power, he says, is made perfect in weakness. So what God, I believe, is saying to Paul is that through the thorn that Paul is going to uniquely experience, he's also going to uniquely experience the grace of God that only came from carrying that thorn around. That Paul is going to grow in the understanding of the sufficiency of God's strength and grace by specifically carrying the thorn with him. Paul views the thorn now as ultimately for his good. Through the thorn given, Paul would grow in his knowledge of the kindness and the generosity of God. That's what it means grace means God's kindness, his favor. Could you imagine saying that it is by the thorn and suffering that he's going to experience the grace and kindness of God? I believe what Paul is telling us is that he would continue to experience that the grace of God is enough. It's enough to carry him through any human weakness he faces. By the way, my grace is sufficient for you is present tense, that means it's ongoing. It keeps on being sufficient. God never runs out. Jesus doesn't diminish in his ability to pour out grace. He is the very fountain of it. And as Charles Simeon points out, the reason for which the affliction was sent him is of great importance to observe. The apostle was not yet perfect. And though he had been caught up into the third heaven, he was liable to sin. The seeds of pride were yet in his heart and they would derive life and vigor even from those very mercies, which to human appearance should have had a tendency to destroy them. And to counteract this evil of his heart, God sent him a heavy trial, and if we were more attentive to the ends of God's dispensations towards ourselves, we might always find some good reason for them within our own hearts. Paul was able to see that even the affliction he was facing was God's grace to him because it was reminding him that his humanity was weak but God was strong and dependable he was trustworthy it was a it was some grace that he would never get to experience apart from that thorn given to him so paul's thorn of affliction brought weakness It robbed him of his human strength, which led him to pray, all being used of God to accomplish his purposes to perfect, mature, and conform Paul into the likeness of Jesus. Because need I remind you, Jesus also suffered. And Paul being robbed of his own strength was the gracious work of God to draw him into greater dependence on the enduring strength that only God can provide. Warren Wiersbe points out that God did not give Paul any explanations. Instead, he gave him a promise. My grace is sufficient for you. As Christians, we do not live on explanations. We live on promises. Our feelings change, but God's promises never change. Promises generate faith, and faith strengthens hope. Paul claimed that God's promise, and he drew on that grace that was offered to him, And this turns seeming tragedy into triumph. Wearsby goes on to say that God did not change the situation by removing the affliction, he changed it by adding a new ingredient called grace. Paul sees it as a gift. Imagine, as a believer, being so confident in the sustaining and dependable and trustworthy work of God that even the trials we face, we would say thank you for your grace. It doesn't mean we love pain. It simply means we know that God uses all things to accomplish his purposes. And I don't think it's coincidental that Paul pleaded three times for the thorn to be removed and Jesus prayed three times in the garden of Gethsemane that the cup might pass from him. See, I believe full on that Paul viewed his suffering as sharing in the sufferings of Jesus. That his thorn was a reminder that Christ was his Savior. That he couldn't do it on his own. He needed Jesus because Jesus was the only one who in his weakness displayed the power of God. That through his weakness he would redeem lost humanity. That his strength he would supply to His people who desperately call upon Him. See, I believe God's teaching us through prayer to recognize our human weaknesses, to call upon the Lord as our hope, comfort, and strength, and to see that every answer to prayer is the gracious work of God to perfect the strength of Christ in us. Every single answer, even the no's, even the not yet's, they're all meant to point us to a greater dependence and trust on That we would be given by His grace the strength of Jesus to endure whatever you're going to face. That leads Paul to boast or rejoice. And what does he boast in? He tells us he boasts in his weaknesses. Paul would rejoice. He would abound with gladness in all his weaknesses. Why? Why? Well, because through his own weakness, the power of Christ was resting upon him, dwelling upon him. His weakness has brought him to depend more on the strength that only God can provide. And because of that, because of all that, Paul says in verse 10, I am content. See, Paul was content knowing that he had received from God through not removing the thorn, and that what he had received from God by not removing the thorn, was of greater value to him than having the thorn removed. That he would have ongoing contentment and joy because through his weakness, the power of Jesus at work in him would be manifested. So again, I give you this morning, Paul's prayers were not ineffective. They brought about what God intended. God intended to pour his grace out on Paul God intended by prayer to strengthen Paul God intended by prayer to sustain Paul through whatever he was going to face and he doesn't just do it in suffering he'll also do it on the days when everything seems to be just fine even when things are good we're still weak even when we think we got everything under control we still need God Even when we think we have arrived, we are now perfect. God shows us by his grace that he is still continuing to conform us by every circumstance we face. And by prayer, we call upon God to receive that wonderful grace, the maturing, sustaining grace we so desperately need. So that we might echo what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to what is seen, but what is unseen. For the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. That we have hope no matter what we face. And Paul says he's not just content with sunny days and beautiful flowers and warmth and comfort. He says he's content with weaknesses and insults and hardships and persecutions and calamities. Paul is content in all of them because each one of them is another opportunity to experience the strengthening, life-sustaining, faith-sustaining grace of God through the work of the Holy Spirit. Every circumstance is a way to drive us back to God for the grace we so desperately need. So whether it's sin, whether it's joy, whether it's sorrow, whether it's grief, whether it's heavy burden, whether it is exhaustion, whatever it is, we run to God as weak people knowing He is strong, He's dependable. We need Him and God promises to give His Holy Spirit and to pour out grace on us to continue to walk after Him. What a beautiful gift God gives that we so often leave on the shelf. And all of this points us to Jesus, because in Christ we have one who sympathizes with our weaknesses. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 through 16, we're told, Since then we have a great high priest who passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in a time of need. Jesus has experienced suffering beyond anything any of us will ever face in this life. He remained faithful and true to the Father. And he perfectly exemplified to us what it looks like to seek God for strength in our weakness. What it looks like to know grace when the Father's answer is different than what we desire. That when Jesus would say, Father, if this cup can pass from me, Jesus was still content, depending on the Father, knowing that the cup was going nowhere. By his death, Jesus has brought victory to us over all of our affliction. By his resurrection, he has secured for us the greater weight of glory spoken of in 2 Corinthians 4. By his ascension, Jesus has given us the Holy Spirit to comfort and to guide And to strengthen us until we're called home to dwell with him forever. And until that day, we devote ourselves to prayer. Not just in our homes, not just in our individual lives. As a church, we devote ourselves to prayer. Prayer is a beautiful gift God gives to his people. To be sustaining grace for us throughout our lives. Jesus said, quoting from Isaiah 56, that God's house would be a house of prayer. We must exemplify this as a church, that in the midst of our circumstances, we run to God. Whether it's good or hard or easy, we run to God and realize that God often uses our weaknesses and our trials to bring us to himself. We don't have to pretend like we're strong. We can admit that we're weak. It's crucial to see if we're going to ever receive the grace God promised to those who call upon him because our weaknesses bring us to the throne of God. And Christian, let me help you. No circumstance of life, good or bad, can rob you of the love of Christ. In Romans chapter 8, Paul says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Prayer is God's gift to us where he pours out his grace to help us to grow to look more like Jesus and to sustain our faith no matter what our circumstances are. And he... Is trustworthy. God is the firm foundation. This morning I want to close with a stanza from the hymn How Firm a Foundation. When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all sufficient shall be thy supply. The flame shall not hurt thee, I only design. Thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. He is a firm foundation no matter the thorns. And what a gift we've been given in prayer to see our desperate need, to run to our God, and to find the grace we so desperately need every single day. I hope this morning that you are in Jesus. The only hope and comfort we have is from being in Christ, knowing that He has bore our weaknesses on the cross in Himself, that He's paid the debt we owe for our sin, that He has conquered sin and death and Satan, that He is interceding for us right now on behalf of the Father, and that He is coming again to bring His kingdom in full. Oh, that you would know this Jesus, Oh, that you would trust in Him. Oh, that you would see that you cannot save yourself. Your weaknesses and sin are too great. But that you might see that Christ is the great Savior. He is the one who has bore all these things for us so that we might be forgiven. Trust in Him. Depend on Him. Run to Him this morning. And Christians, in our weaknesses in our good days and in our bad, no matter what circumstances we we face, may we display lives of dependence upon God. May we run to Him. May we seek Him. May we pray and plead that God would pour out His grace as we trust in Him. That we would respond and show a lost world what happens when Christians face circumstances. That we understand we are weak, but He is strong. And we love him. We love to run to him. And God loves to hear from his people. Run to God. Find the grace you so desperately need to live and to honor him. May we devote ourselves to him. And may we pray. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, I love you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for showing us that you give us the great gift of prayer to remind us of our weakness to remind us of our desperate need for you. And Father, that you pour out your grace as we petition you. God, that you have grace that you love to give, if only we would ask. Father, I pray that you would find us in this place dependent on you. God, may we be a praying people, not just as individuals, God, but as a church, would we devote ourselves to casting our anxieties and cares upon you. Oh Lord, you are supremely trustworthy. Would you show us today? God, would you, would you move among us by your power, by your Holy Spirit's work And God? Would you save souls? Would you draw people? Lord, would you rescue and redeem as only you can? Father, would you lead people to see their weakness and their sin, that they might confess it to you? God, that they might find forgiveness in Christ who bore all of our weaknesses upon him. Father, would you help us as Christians? to live lives that show a lost world that we are completely devoted to you and dependent on you. God, we need you desperately. And may our lives reflect that. God, as a church, may we run to you in prayer. May we seek you. And God, may we give you thanks for the grace you abundantly pour out every time we call. Oh Lord, may you receive glory in this place. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.